0: This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast.
1: Just last year, the Exeter wildfire really woke up a lot of people in Rhode Island. Certainly, there's a climate change question surrounding it. Certainly, there's you know a number of practical questions surrounding it. But one thing that really jumped out in the wake of that event, as I was touring the area down in Exeter where this, this fire took place, and certainly by standards compared with California or, or up in Canada, what they're seeing in terms of the actual physical geography of the space. It wasn't a major disaster. Let's be clear about that. No lives were lost really only, um, you, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things. It was not the biggest disaster in the world, but it did wake us up to a lot of realities in Rhode Island in terms of the condition of our forest right now and also the management of forest fire prevention. I learned that over the years, the physical people that were responsible for fire, forest fire oversight uh, may not even exist within DEM on a full-time basis to the extent that they used to. And certainly when it comes to the condition of our forests and clear cutting or reducing and, and, and making a little bit more of a practical environment, for stopping forest fires once they happen. That certainly was a major priority. Mike Healy joins us on the heels of an announcement that came out uh, just yesterday from the DEM on some efforts to try to mitigate forest fire. Mike's the spokesperson, the chief public affairs officer for the DEM. And as always, thanks for hopping on, sir.
0: Bill, thanks so much for having me. That was a great intro to a to a very big issue. You're right, uh, those two back-to-back uh, wildfires, um, West Greenwich and then Exeter, literally within days of each other, we're fighting one in West Greenwich and then the other one which was uh, which was much bigger, much more dangerous, um, you know emerges and so you're right it it um I think that did open a lot of eyes um, there there uh, there was a state I believe it's called the state forestry commission was formed through legislation after those fires. That commission has been meeting. Uh, it's it's led by um, Rep. Megan Cotter, um, and uh, I'm pretty sure they're going to be doing a report. We've, we we have a couple of DEM folks on that commission. There's been you know there's there's foresters, there's conservationists, there's other folks on that commission. But for sure, a, a focus of that commission and a focus of DEM is okay. We we are we're we're known as the Ocean State. We've got, 50, but we've got 50% forest lands in our state. And what are we going to do to lessen this threat? So one thing for sure, um, uh, and, 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 an important point you raised, um, you know, DEM forestry doesn't have the staff that it used to, um, and yet, along with EMA, of course, DEM is going to be one of the lead agencies responding to forest uh, to, to wildfires. So, one thing we've done um, is is focus on that lack of capacity to build capacity. And so, we're doing for the second year in a row uh, a, a firefighter training program that is basically uh, aimed at at teaching municipal uh, fi- uh, firefighters and um folks from uh from state agencies mostly dem um who who don't you know necessarily do uh forestry or or you know firefighting as their primary gig to learn the basic skills to get out and augment you know the the first responders who are you know already very experienced in this in this uh realm so so last year uh which was our first year of a very intensive training program, which goes on for a week. We were able to um, train twenty-five, twenty-five new uh, firefighters, and this year we're aiming for the same thing. So, for sure, we got to build the capacity because when a fire happens, and you'll remember this, Bill, and I think you reported this. You know, we had crews. Fortunately, Rhode Island has signed forestry compacts and firefighting compacts with different states and different, in even different countries in uh, Canada. We had, excuse me, we had a crew from Maine. We had a crew from Connecticut. We had a crew from uh, Cape Cod. We had a, I, I think we might've had a crew from Canada too, but the idea of these compacts is if a fire becomes big, bigger than a, than an entity, say Rhode Island can handle, then, you know, if, if these crews from different, different States, you know, have the capacity and availability, they're going to come on out and help us in the same way. Rhode Island as is part of our deal in the compact, helps other places if um, if they need help from us. So that's just one piece of this puzzle that you are talking about.
1: And that's a critical piece, because, look, the the vast majority of our woodlands are located in areas where the fire departments are volunteer. And they do great. great they do great work, but there's a response time that is beyond that of Providence or somewhere that has a full time fire department because you physically have to get your your firefighters to the station to get into the apparatus to figure out, you know, where the 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 origin place is or sort of the front line of the forest fire is. So it's a complex process. And that response time, they do a pretty good job. I mean, just thinking about Exeter, I mean, there were there were forest fi- there were firefighters on scene pretty quickly from North Kingstown and, and Exeter but spe- speaking to the Exeter forest fire. But you know, the more training that can go into this um, in in concert with other pre- prevention measures, boy, that is essential and practical and something that uh, I'm sure the departments definitely appreciate.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and number one, I'm I'm so glad you're you're mentioning the local municipal uh, responders. I mean, really, um, in, in in both cases last summer, uh, both West Greenwich and Exeter, the local responders, the local emergency management folks, did a tremendous job. Um, you know, you, you really when when you're talking about these fires that that um, you know when the conditions are right, as they were last year with extremely dry weather. I don't know whether technically we had a drought last year, but it was really really dry um but when you're talking about those situations and a and a fire you know pretty much explodes like that uh you know d e m r i e m a we can, there's no way we can do that you know handle that by ourselves uh so to have to have trained local you know wildland firefighter response from from local municipalities is 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 a huge huge uh thing uh it's a it's a huge support and we appreciate it
1: let's talk about this announcement yesterday uh that that pertains to arcadia and look there's there's no doubt arcadia it's the largest wooded parcel in the state It spans exeter Hopkinton, richmond and west greenwich And it's a beautiful place for, first of all, anyone who hasn't spent time out there. There's a lot of options. You can get lost literally or figuratively out in Arcadia on really any day of the year and find something amazing. But you're announcing a project that's going to work to thin the dense tree cover and remove the underlying brush out in Arcadia. And this is what's called a shaded fuel break, and it's going to reduce and manage the fuel, which is the brush in this case, that is the fuel within this designated area, that lessens the risk of the fire becoming completely out of control. Um, It's not a fire break. The fire break is something different. Uh, It's either natural or man-made barrier that is developed simply and literally to stop forest fires. Um, And if I recall out in Exeter, one of the major reasons why there was This didn't spill over into, you know, towards Wickford was because of a fire break that a private property owner had installed themselves in clear cutting trees and um, and working towards that. But so talk about the decision to create this um, not fire break, but shaded fuel break and what this means for maybe other wooded areas in the state going forward.
0: Yeah, sure, absolutely. So so a couple of years ago, so the genesis of this bill is a couple of years ago in the twenty twenty two Green Bond, there'll be another Green Bond on the twenty twenty four or so in, in November. Just, you know, yesterday Governor McKee announced the, the new budget, so submitted the budget to um to the Rhode Island General Assembly where, you know, you know the saying from from grade school, or at least uh, as a as a as a creaky baby boomer I do, you know, um the governor proposes and and the legislature disposes, right? So right. we'll see what ha- we'll see what happens with that budget. But there's another green bond. In any event, in the 2022 green bond, uh, Rhode Island voters approved overwhelmingly by um, almost 70 percent, um, three million that went to protect uh, for, forest, you know, state forest lands. Um, and so we're using uh, the number right now. It's going to be a 360 thousand dollar project, which is a which is a big number and it could go more than that but to your point Arcadia is massive and I'm just looking at a, I don't have a GIS map in front of me I'm just looking at a map a Google Earth map I mean I'm looking at the fire roads on Arcadia it's it's you know it's it's incredible how many you know the mileage uh, how many miles of fire roads there are in Arcadia alone so the goal here to your point is is we're doing this work this shaded fuel break work along all uh, or 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 whole swaths of uh of the main um of the main fire road in arcadia to and and basically the point is by by clearing out by cutting shrubs underbrush by clearing down dead uh branches trees etc removing those fuels what you're doing is you're taking um if a fire were to happen you are, you are removing fuel, thus limiting um, a fire's speed. You're basically trying to keep a, if I, if I can use the word, typical wildfire from becoming a really bad wire fire, a wildfire. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're trying to help reduce fire speed and severity and at the same time make it easier for these brave um, responders, the firefighters, to respond. Um, and as a as you know, a state agency in charge of of state lands like Arcadia, we we, of course, have a responsibility to do all that we can to lessen the threat to firefighters who resp- uh, who who do respond. So so um, it's it's really there's 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 two major two major goals. One is is to to clear. And 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 manage these hazardous fuels that exist in every forest or, or forest land in Rhode Island um, to to help us maintain those fire roads, which are the vital arteries that that that, wild, uh, that firefighters use to respond and and thereby protect life and property. And then, as I just said, to to um, you're, we're trying to help the responding firefighters. And in so doing, um, you know, better protect them when they are responding on our lands.
1: We're in a moment now. I alluded to it at the top. Climate change is real. We know that. Um, What we don't know necessarily is the exact impact it'll have right here in southern New England when it comes to drought going forward and when it comes to the conditions that are most fertile for wildfires. So, is this initiative here in Arcadia and, and utilizing the green bond? You know, what, how does this fit into what DEM believes is necessary to meet the moment over the next ten years? Because this seems like an important part, but it seems like just a part of what would be a broader strategy.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Bill. Um, I mean, I mean, um, you know, Wayne Gretzky had had a great line. You know, you don't skate to where the puck is; you skate to where the puck is going. Right, so uh, we're, we're a public agency. We're trying to we're trying to respond to public needs, and a, and and a major need is given the scope and the scale of climate change, which is so which is which is so manifest. Uh, I mean, you know, we're talking about right now. I'm 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 struck by the by the irony. People will be like, well, why are you talking about firefighter? Fire, uh, you, you know, you uh, know, excuse me. Uh, Wildfires in in the middle of the of you know the January when we've just had the most inundating um, you know storms that we've had for I don't know years. Well, the reason is because because soon enough in the spring or summer we don't know what you know the weather pattern is going to be. We do know that generally, um, Rhode Island has become a a a hotter, drier place. And so that's where the puck is going. And so, so whether it's through capacity building, capacity through the through the um, training program, whether it's doing projects like the one we're doing at Arcadia, where we're uh, going to be constructing these shaded fuel breaks along the Blitz Creek Trail. Also, we've been doing um, for a couple of years now. Uh, we've we've increased the use of prescribed or planned burns, all because. Climate change is, is, is physically and quickly changing the composition of our forest lands. And we, we, we have to, we have to do new things to, to combat that, to make our trees and our forests more resilient because, um, they, they, they're, they're such vital resources, you know, as you know, because I, you know, uh, Arcadia is not far from where you grew up, right? That's right. Yeah, so so you know this, but I mean, um, you know, the f- forests they provide habitat to wildlife, they remove pollutants from the air, they keep our drinking water sources clean, they absorb floodwaters. I mean, a, a huge piece of climate change is, is the fact that forests sequester, you know, millions of tons of carbon. So, we regard forests as priceless, irreplaceable assets, and it's our job it's our job to do all we can to make sure, like in 20 years, in 50 years, in 100 years, they're still there uh, for future generations to enjoy and rely on. Um, they might look different; for sure, they're going to look different. But it's our job to 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 use the best science that we have, uh, and and make the best proposals that we that we can um, to make that happen.
1: Do you think this broad area is getting enough attention? Not just in the media, but that the funding is where it kind of needs to be in terms of we'll see what the legislature does obviously as you said but do you feel like this your your world you know call it dem call it conservation nature whatever is it on enough people's radar as a major issue the way that it ought to be certainly if you talk to gen z or a lot of millennials climate change would probably be I don't know. Within the top three major issues, I'm not so sure it's the same for all generations. Uh, at least I get a lot of pushback sometimes on on Twitter or on talk radio if this comes yeah. up from some people. And you, you think, boy, you know, ah, this is this is happening. I mean, you can debate yeah. the origin of it if you'd like, but you know, the idea that it's not happening. I mean, just go down to Exeter last last May and take yeah. a look around.
0: Yeah. No, you know, Bill, I think that's a great point. I think there is a, there is a generational aspect to this. Um, And I do think that, that the fact that so many younger people feel strongly about, about like, what are we, what are we doing here? Are we doing enough, you know, to, to, uh, to become, you know, more resilient to climate change? I think that's great. I think, I think generally speaking that, you know, it, it's it's. I really do believe that that anxiety rules the world, mm. and and that you know our fight flight mechanism is is kind of like it, it's our default, and so it's all in how we we respond. And I think that you know, it's it's people are anxious about a lot of things now. There's so many things going on in the world that people are anxious about, um, but I, I think the one thing. If you can call, if you can call it a good thing about you, you know um, these inundating storms that we've had, these 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 like you know the, the crazy things that we're seeing, the pictures, um, you know about these storms and storm damage. It's it's that it does get people's attention, and and you know constituents constituents can can really influence. Uh, and and move the will the political will of everyone um by by voicing their opinions and letting their legislators um you know know uh how they feel about certain issues you know um i mean you know i'll just just throw this out as, as an anecdote like in terms of of people's in this case in my opinion unrealistic expectation you know um I've I've gotten as a as a PIO I get a lot of you know constituent complaints, which is fine. I mean look, pe- people pay my salary, I'm happy to try to help them resolve a problem. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. But we've had a number of, you know, people who own, you know, nice houses right on the beach, um saying, Well, why doesn't D E M have a beach replenishment program? Or when when's the beach replenishment gonna happen? Yeah, it's and unbelievable. Bill, 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 I'm like I'm like I'm like, look, we don't have a beach replenishment program. Okay, that's number 1. And, and and I I just I looked at New Jersey. Since 19 in the late 1930s when New Jersey started its beach replenishment program, they've spent 3 b billion dollars on moving sand around. Mm-hmm. And they do it every year, and it's 50 million dollars a year. So, I'm not that much of a knucklehead that I'm going to say to somebody who's anxious that their house is going to get inundated with with seawater or, or be that big of a jerk and say well look sorry we're just not going to do it but I I do need to say to them look if 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 you think it's the will of the people to want to pay that much money to do that kind of thing well that's you know that's certainly an option but that's that's the kind of thing that's going to have to be enacted before And, uh, you know, an agency could just do that. You know what I mean? So I guess I guess my point simply is that that um, people have people react to these disasters um, differently. Um, And, you know, we have to be realistic and reasonable about what we can do. But there's a lot that we can do.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I I completely agree with that statement in in its entirety. And it it bleeds into just. You know, I think there's a broad question that a lot of people should ask themselves, or maybe they do. I mean, it's it's not, I'm not saying they don't, but what kind of world do you want to live in? We can ask ourselves that question about a lot of things, but certainly when it comes to issues of anything climate related, anything of the natural world around us, um, what kind of world do you want, you know, and, and are you willing to make some level of sacrifice or understand the dynamics of what's happening around you, in order to preserve that world going forward. Maybe you hate the world as is. Maybe you'd like to see everything just, you know, no more natural features and just one hundred percent. I don't know, like Dubai or something everywhere. But um, I'm certain that most people, most Rhode Islanders, anyway, don't feel that way. Even those who are coastal property owners. And uh, you know, it's it's just a weird time because we're. I feel like we're on the precipice of a real shift that is um that's gonna change the public attitudes around all these discussions in a significant way, but we're not there yet.
0: Yeah, you know what I I I agree, Bill. I hope you're right. I, I I totally um share your view on that. Um you know one thing I've I've um noticed over time is that when the economy's good, people care more about the environment. <laughs> <laughs> you, know? you know what i mean
1: wow so true that is like nailed it that is such an accurate statement no doubt
0: and and so so everything's interconnected and so if 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 you know and and we see like how how it, it literally where we we began this this um conversation talking about wildfire and and if something happens something crazy happens um who knows in what sector of the economy, and all of a sudden there's like a you know a giant disruption that's that's a wildfire too so mm-hmm. so you know um so i I would say that that you know Rhode Islanders and people everywhere, just knowing that they have important choices to make as voters um and important choices to make as to how they present themselves when they're when they're bringing up issues um yeah, make your voice heard. We don't need to be jerks about it. Just make your voice heard. Um, there's, there's a process, you know, and, and, um, you know, if enough people care about an issue, um, it, you know, it gets the attention of state agencies. It gets the attention of, of the general assembly. So, you know, the, the, there's a, there's a process that, that, you know, uh, a democratic process that we use and rely on, um, you know, to do our work and, um, and for sure, uh, public public input um, matters a ton.
1: Super, super well said. Mike Healy, he's uh, with the DEM. You hear him from time to time here on the podcast, and it's always outstanding to have you on here, sir. And uh, great work by DEM on this initiative here. And let's hope it's just the beginning of some substantial efforts at, at wildfire mitigation as part of just a broad rethinking of how we manage The world that we live in whether it's the forest or as you alluded to the coastal portions um it's critical it's front line front and center issue deserves all the attention and you deserve all the attention you can get so thanks for all you're doing
0: bill thanks so much and we'll make sure when we're doing some of these projects including the uh firefighter training to get uh to get one of our leaders on to to talk to you about it in depth
1: yeah I'd i'd love that i'm sure the audience would too thanks super all right bill we are brought to you in part by navigant credit union as Rhode Island's first-ever member-owned credit union, Navigant Credit Union has been a staple in the local business community for more than 108 years. Today, Navigant is a $3.4 billion institution serving more than 136,000 members across 25 physical branch locations. But since its founding in 1915, the mission has never changed. Navigant Credit Union's team of financial professionals have remained committed to improving the financial well-being of of the families, businesses, and communities they serve across Rhode Island. Learn more at NavigantCU.org.